0: everybody glad to have you back with me glad to be off of summer break or spring break or actually more summer but glad to have you with me glad to be back energized ready to rock and roll baby it's time to get it it's time to hit it so coming to you from the heart of cajun country south louisiana where the the best food and drink you can possibly have especially during the summer or any other time of year that you want to hit it This is the Down South IT Podcast. My name is Clark. Now I realize I've been gone for a little while, a few weeks, so had to take a little break, rest, recharge the whole nine, just like everybody else. Hey, everybody gets vacation. So this was mine and now we can hit it and get it back where we need to be. But before we do that, I wanted to kind of do something a little bit different with this episode and go through and kind of run through some of the news of the day that I missed while I was on my break. So that way we can kind of catch up, go through some of the stuff that we had happen over the last couple of three weeks, you know, four weeks, what have you, and kind of get on the same page. And then we'll start off with a brand new topic, just like we normally do on a regular episode. And of course, that'll be in two weeks. So we've had quite a bit of things happen in the tech world since I took my little break. And if you want to follow along with all of this, everything, all the links and stuff to these articles, with the exception of a couple of things I'm going to throw in at the end, uh, I'm sprinkling in some wisdom and some craziness, because why not? That's the fun part. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. So we're going to go ahead and run through some of the stuff that happened while I was on break. And this is kind of going to almost be like a My Two Cents episode, but it's just going to be kind of a longer version of that so we'll kind of that way we can catch up and do all of this stuff so if you want to follow on the show prep down it podcast.com just under the embedded player click the link it's right there all the articles will be there right there for you so you can follow along if you really want to or at least just kind of catch up on some of the stuff that you know i thought was important that happened during the last few weeks so we'll start off gizmodo had an article on things that you'll lose from Windows 10 when you upgrade to Windows 11. Now, I'm not really all that interested in what I'm going to be losing with Windows 11 because some weird things have been happening with Windows 11, and they do have the public beta out now. You can, you know, download it and put it on your computer if you really, really, really want to. i not suggesting you actually do that because there's probably going to be some updates and other things that they're going to do to it before it actually goes public, and that'll probably happen more than likely this fall. But what we, the thing that's getting me on is after Microsoft did their announcement and they came out, everybody was praising it, oh, this looks great, blah, 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 everything's going smooth and swimmingly and all of these other adjectives that most people won't use on another computer because... As soon as after that happened, would you hear? I know what I heard, and it was crickets. I didn't hear a damn thing. Especially after some of the things were coming out that you would have to do once you actually installed it. Some stuff that wasn't there, the stuff that was there that you might not like. But it went from everybody praising this thing, this new operating system for, you know, about a good 48 to 36 hours you know, 36, 48 hours, give or take, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit longer, maybe 72 to nothing. Absolutely nothing. I have heard absolutely nothing from anybody that's done like articles on, Hey, I've tried windows 11 for three weeks. This is what I learned. I have found nothing like that, which means that this thing is probably going to be terrible. And granted, there are some useful features that they're talking about. A lot of the stuff might not be completely implemented because, granted, this is a beta. So, not everything is going to be working 100%, which I can pretty much guarantee you when you download it and it's going to be live. Some stuff probably won't work either, but that's just kind of how Microsoft rolls now, along with just about every other software developer. They don't ever, you know, do anything to the point of it's actually working before they release it because why the hell bother you can do updates blah 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 which that's on a whole nother story that you know pretty much pisses me off but it it is what it is at this point so that's the that's the story that i really want to hear i want to hear why everybody was praising this going you know for the the three or four days went after they announced it and they announced the beta where you can do all of that to absolutely nothing what they're not saying is saying stuff a lot louder than what they were saying. And to me, that's the real story. So, I don't know exactly what they're, what's going to happen with this. I'm still debating whether or not I even want to try it. Or even if I do try Windows 11, I'm probably going to do it in a VM, a virtual machine. That way, it does not screw up my current computer. So, I may do it that way. But... For the most part, I'm not really actually looking forward to this upgrade. And I think that's kind of the the takeaway that I got from this. Because when we were going from 7 to 10, it was a lot of hesitancy from people. Didn't want to upgrade, didn't want to do a lot of these these things. But they did make it free. So that helped a lot of people move over. And the other thing that that it did was people started talking about it. And the stuff that they were saying was generally positive. It wasn't all great, which, I mean, you're never going to please everybody, especially with software. You're just not. It's not going to happen. So the fact that there's nobody coming out and praising this for, like, ease of use or compatibility or anything like that. I mean, I haven't really found anything on this. So the fact that nobody's sitting here praising this And saying, okay, this is the next thing. It's a go-to operating system or, you know, the upgrade will be better in the long, even, not even in the long term, even even in the short term, it'll be a better for, you know, an upgrade. I haven't heard any on that. And that's what's scared the daylights out of me, not wanting to upgrade. Because at least if you hear chatter and stuff like that, again, you're not going to please everybody, but at least if the chatter was mainly positive... Then maybe that might kind of push me to consider it. But at this point, the chatter is basically nothing. So that doesn't bode well, especially in you know the minds of people like me that are you, I'm a self you know confessed technocrat and you know gadget guru and tech junkie. So if it doesn't sway me with any of the chatter that this is actually good, You you can't bank on me telling people that it's good and them taking my word for it, and especially I'm not going to put it on this podcast where a lot more people listen to it than I actually talk to in real life. So and thank you by the way for doing that. We're up over twelve thousand streams total for the entire uh, podcast. So appreciate that. You guys are awesome. I love you. But if I can't sit there and relay what I hear two people to kind of sway them, then it's not going to happen. Especially talking to like friends and family and stuff like that in my inner circle that people that really trust and value my opinion on tech stuff, not just, you know, you, the podcast community that listen to me, which I do appreciate you again, but, you know, the people that I that really hold what I say to heart. I wouldn't trust sending them to download this, at least not right now. So that right there in in itself speaks volumes to me, and that's kind of where I sit with this whole Windows 11 thing. It's not what features they take off and which which ones they put back on, and they they've done a lot on here that I really do not like, to be honest. But again, that's for another that's another time and place. If you want to hear about that, I do have a my two cents episode on that, so you can check that out. And it's just, I'm not, I'm not of the opinion that I really want to do this right now. So, Microsoft has kind of painted themselves into a corner. I really think they have, they have something that looks good, but from form, form and function is a lot different than aesthetics. And the aesthetics, I think they do have down. And I've seen screenshots and, you know, people using it. It does look great. I'll give it that. It looks good. It it looks different. I like the new icon packs. I like the, you know, a lot of the stuff that they're doing. But if the function isn't there and some of the features that I use a lot aren't there, then it ain't going to (laughs) happen. It just won't. I'm going to ride Windows 10 until I can't anymore. You know, that's basically where I'm at with this right at this point. Next up on the list is a article from CNET talking about how Apple is trying to get as many Bionic A15 chips as they can for the next iPhone launch. This one's actually kind of a twofer because not only is Apple trying to hoard as many chips as it possibly can during a silicon shortage, that they're actually, they put on order 100 million chips from TSMC out in South Korea for their iPhone release for the iPhone 13. Now that's actually up because whenever they did the iPhone 12, they only ordered 75 million. So they actually upped it 25 million for the order. Now the trick of this all is is that this is the twofer. Just because they're ordering 25 million more chips doesn't mean they're gonna get it because we are still in a chip shortage. There's still a lot of sectors that don't have silicon, namely cars. A lot of other semiconductors, they have uh, AMD Ryzen chips are you know getting harder and harder to come by. Graphics cards again are still crazy to to try and come by, even with the mining bust in China. And you can find a lot of secondhand graphics cards now for fairly cheap. So at least the price of those have started to come down a little bit. But for the most part, we're still in a silicon shortage. Automotive industry is sitting on a ton of vehicles. I don't know if you've passed by a dealership lately. There's no cars on the dealership lot because they can't complete them. They can't finish the cars because they don't have the chips for the computers. So, Or even the ones that they do have are base models that don't have a lot of bells and whistles because they don't have the silicon. In fact, GM has been pretty much the leader on that front By taking higher-end vehicles and stripping out all of the bells and whistles, like your navigation, your cruise control, you know, different things like that that require those computer modules and ECM modules, if they can't get the silicon, they're just taking those out and then sending them to the dealership so they can be sold. So, you're actually getting, like, you know, higher-end leather interior and stuff like that, but you're not getting all of the bells and whistles that you possibly could, even if you wanted a new vehicle so the ones that you really want you really can't get at least with all the features that you want so it it is definitely a struggle especially for the automotive industry right now again I'll, pretty much anything that you can think of that has a chip in it which is damn near everything at this point you know for us at least in the the economy that we're in computers and single board computers you talking headphones, headsets, wireless devices, phones, anything you can think of with a chip in it is going to be hard to come by because of the silicon shortage. Now it has been getting a little bit better. So I'll give them that. It has been getting a little bit better and prices have finally started to come down at least in a little bit. But for the most part, It's still going to probably be well into next year or 2023 before this actually gets resolved. Now, that's not counting the new plant that TSMC is actually building in Arizona, but that won't be up and running to even make chips probably until 2025. So you might as well not even count that because that doesn't even add add into the equation. So it's going to be a little bit of a tingy and cringy ride. (laughs) At least as far as, you know, tech goes for the next few years, just because of all of the shortage for chips and different things like that. So it's going to be a little bit fun, but we'll make it through. We always do. Next up on the list is another CNET article, and it's on the Freedom Phone. Not sure if you've ever heard this. And this is supposedly a free speech privacy first, you know, handset that at least that's what they're touting it as. But this thing is pretty much the antithesis of that in every regard that you can possibly do. First off on this thing is the price. They wanna charge you 500 bucks for this phone. This phone is actually only probably 120 bucks at max. And this is actually just a rebranded Huawei phone, which we all know Huawei is owned by the Chinese government which means they have backdoors into everything that you could do on this phone. And they're branding this thing as a privacy first phone. I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I'll be the first one to tell you. But this thing is just, I mean, even the specs on it are terrible for a modern Android phone. So how they could charge you 500 bucks for this is, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty much insane. If anybody actually buys this thing, I really and truly feel sorry for you. And to be honest, you get what you get because you didn't do your research. And that's basically all I'm gonna say on that. If you see this phone and you look at it and you wanna you want to look into it, please don't. It is terrible. It is way overpriced. It's not even worth the, the hassle of dealing with this thing. So please steer clear, well clear of this phone. And if you actually did buy one, you might as well take it and go chunk it in a river. It ain't worth the, it really ain't worth the plastic that it's made out of, to be honest. Next up is an article from Interesting Engineering. And this one caught my eye because I'm always trying to get the best deal and, you know, the best internet speed that I possibly can. This one was kind of a wake-up call saying that, yeah, my local ISP is kind of terrible. Um, not not really, as far as my, at least in my location that I, that I can say, but... Whenever they have people that are shattering internet speed records left and right, it kind of makes you wonder why your local ISP is only doling out so much. You know, they're only giving you a 100 megabit connection, maybe 300 gigabit if you're lucky. And they have had a company in Japan that shattered this internet speed record with 319 terabits per second. Grant, you're getting megabits. To get to gigabit, you have to add 1,024 to that. So 1,024 megabits is one gigabit. If you do 1,024 gigabits, then you get a terabit. So they're at 319 terabits. That is insanely fast. And, of course, they didn't do this over copper. They didn't do this on DSL. They didn't do this on... uh, cat six cat eight no kind of cat cable that can honestly keep up with that kind of speed this was done with fiber so this was fiber optic cable and what they actually did was it was kind of ingenious because if you look at cable internet uh, from your cable company they use coaxial cable and they split the bandwidth at least in the newer modems they split the bandwidth into different channels They did the exact same thing with the fiber, but when you split fiber into different channels, you use different wavelengths of light. So, they were using different wavelengths of light all combined together to get this speed. So, they basically, they broke it up into different fragments, different channels, and then sent everything at once to get to that 319 terabits, which is, I mean... Like I say, the technology exists in coaxial cable, you know, your regular cable uh, TV cable. So why not apply that to fiber? So it was actually an ingenious solution, and I was I was very in, I was intrigued by it whenever I was looking at it. And just to give you another uh, a benchmark here, NASA, okay, NASA's internal network that they use going from. Houston to Cape Canaveral to you know all of their satellite locations all over that connection is only 400 gigabit per second so this is 319 terabit so they're even putting NASA to shame okay you can download a movie on NASA's network in a regular HD movie like a 1080 movie in probably three to four seconds so three terabits a second you'd probably be less than a second Less than a second to download an entire HD movie. <laughs> that is insane. Insane. Kind of makes you want to get fiber to the home now, doesn't it? <laughs> Next up, an article from The Verge. Apparently Major League Baseball is getting sick and tired of people doing sign stealing. Uh, <coughs> Houston Astros. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I got something caught in my throat. But So to try and combat this what they're going to do is they have encrypted transmitters that have bone conduction uh, speakers so it's basically kind of an over-the-ear headset thing that the that the catchers can wear that it actually doesn't have it doesn't play any sound so you can't use like a parabolic mic or something like that to you know to actually do the Listen in on the conversation and see what pitch or you know what play or anything like that so if you use that it's kind of the same function as a hearing aid almost it actually stimulates the the different bones in your ear to make sound so that way the only person that can hear it is the person wearing it so and of course they're talking about doing the you know the, the transmitter itself would be you know encrypted so you can't steal it wirelessly So basically what they're trying to do is, uh, besides trying to stop people from stealing, but it's just the the way they're doing this is just weird. So here's the general setup. You have two, each team has two transmitters and two earpieces. The earpieces are only for the catcher and the pitcher, the active ones at the time. Nobody else can have them, not coaches, not anybody in the bullpen, nobody. The second set of headphones and transmitters has to be kept in the case in the clubhouse during the game unless something breaks. And that's for both teams. And the catcher actually wears a, a wristband with like a few numbers on it and stuff like that. So you can actually he can type it in on his wristband and then hear him and the pitcher can both hear the numbers using the, the earpieces. So that's basically how they're going to call pitches now and plays and stuff like that. So the only thing that gets me is, okay that that'll actually take care of, you know, the pitch calling. But what about if you want to put on like some kind of play behind the pitcher? He still has to send signals to the other other players. So who else is going to get a headset to relay that information? I don't know if they thought this through very well. I really don't. I thought it was interesting. the The, the whole premise is interesting to me, but I I really don't know how it's gonna uh, how it's gonna play out. Apparently, they did try this with uh, a, a minor league team, like a single A minor minor league team, and I don't know if it actually worked very well or not. They really don't say if it did or not. They're saying that the major league uh, Major League Baseball is kind of optimistic on it. But as far as it, them actually putting it into use, I'm really not 100% certain. I'm not sure how many purists are actually going to even want to use it, to be honest, because, I mean, a lot of people go by tradition of the game. And if you look at this as something balking at tradition, then you're going to have a lot of people that are going to be really hesitant for it. Baseball is a very traditionalist game. Along, you know, along with golf and a few other ones, but baseball is—it's one of those things that it, you know they don't like getting away from tradition very much. I mean, look how long it took them to get to instant replay, and the sad part is now that's all they do. I mean, it seems like they're always running off into the clubhouse right there to do an instant replay on something. So I mean, it's—it's it, it's, it's almost terrible. It, it grinds the game way, way down. At least in my opinion. But you know, to each his own. If they want to try it. I'm all for them trying it, but I'm kind of wondering how it's going to work in practice rather than just in, you know, spring training games and stuff like that. That that part, I'd have to see how it would work. Next up is another article from The Verge, and this one is actually on the internet outage that happened the other day. And this was a really, really big deal. I'm not sure how many people have even heard of it, but this was a lot bigger deal than what most people thought it was going to be. So this is what happened. A company called Akamai went, and they're one of the few companies that when you get into the backbone of the internet, like when you're talking different things as far as network-wide, worldwide, there's only a handful of companies that actually handle all of that traffic. There's only a couple that do DNS, really. There's a few that do content delivery. You know, and different things like that. So there's only a few companies that handle backbone internet, you know, traffic. Akamai is one of the ones that does backbone (laughs) internet traffic. So they do content delivery. They host a lot of stuff on the internet. They were trying to roll out a software patch. And what ended up happening was that it brought down their service. And when their service went down... Pretty much every website that you could think of went down. There was a lot of them. Allied Bank, Fidelity, so, uh, Sony's PlayStation Network, Airbnb, a bunch of different airlines, Delta, British Airways, Southwest, you know, they had function that wasn't working. I mean, this was very, very widespread. They had a bunch of different things, you know, that was also on there, like the New York Met, uh, Metropolitan Transit Transit Authority, Times of India, newspaper several other places but i mean it was a massive massive internet outage all because of a software update now they did restore service in about two to three hours which all things considered is not terrible but the fact that just a software update could take down most of the internet well not most but a good portion of the internet that's kind of that's kind of crazy and it just shows that You know, if one company happens to get hacked and that they honestly, they came out right away and said that this was not a cyber attack or anything like that. I kind of have my doubts. (laughs) Uh, I mean, they haven't said anything to the contrary. Nothing. Nobody else has come out and said anything to the contrary on that. But, you know, it, it was a little shady, just to say the least, but. At least it kind of shows that, you know, there's only a handful of companies that handle the traffic for the entire Internet. And if one of them happens to get hacked, you know, or, you know, get some kind of cyber uh, attack or some kind of ransomware or anything like that, then they could hold a good bit of the Internet hostage for that information. Now, granted, a lot of that stuff is encrypted and it's databases and different things like that. So a lot of places can't get to it even if it was ransomware there was you know it's, a, it's this is more high high end stuff than just the servers at you know a, a certain company so it's n- nothing along that line that data probably won't get there but the hosting side of it that that could be very very valuable if a cyber attacker wanted to hit it how much money could you uh have gotten from them if you did do have a ransomware attack on them i mean they they could have asked for billions and probably got it because of how strategic and important Ak- Ak- Akame, Ak- Akamai, I believe I can't. It, it's it's a very odd name for a company, but one of those. And I'm from South Louisiana, so I butcher crap all the time. So all in all, service was restored pretty quick. I'll give them that. But I do believe that this kind of opens the door for cyber hackers and cyber terrorists to try and get at these companies that are on the backbone of the internet because they can take so much out with one attack. So I'm not sure if that's something that they were already thinking about before, but I guarantee you something like this puts it on their radar. Now, the last article is from Tom's guide and this one is about Amazon's new game that they're coming out with. uh, Seeing as how Amazon is trying to do a streaming gaming system, kind of like Google Stadia. I guess they really haven't looked at exactly what Google Stadia is doing right now, which is pretty much nothing. So I don't know why they would want to jump into this territory at this point. But anyway, uh, that's another story for another day. So their basically their headline game is called New World. And what it's doing is it's killing graphics cards on gaming computers and usually the ones the ones that have been most affected are the most expensive graphics cards that you can get from the video right now at least you know at least as a desktop console the RTX 3090 so it's bricking these graphics cards like absolutely killing them and apparently it's because of some kind of setting within the game and it doesn't automatically default to have a certain frame rate. Like most, com- most games, whenever they set up, they have some kind of default. So they will default at 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second or something along that line. They'll, they'll stick usually with one of those two just depending on the hardware that you're running. And what this one is, is that limiter is not defaulted in the settings. So what happens is when you're playing the game, the 3090 tries to pump out as many frames as it possibly can because there's no default. So the game, it just keeps pumping, keeps pumping frames and gets hot. It gets hot. It gets hot. And then all of a sudden it dies because it basically burns itself up. So it's a kind of a mix between the Amazon game not having that as a default, you know, their default settings being kind of jacked up. But it's also kind of a fault of NVIDIA, because NVIDIA doesn't really put any kind of stress limits on the 3090 card in software. So, you know, normally there's like a thermal target on a card like that. If it gets too hot, it starts to pull back, you know, so it doesn't run quite as fast and you don't get as much frame rate and all of that stuff. But because it's running hot, it's trying to save itself. It's trying to save itself from burning the hell up. And 3090s don't really have that. So basically they just go until they burn themselves out. And at least on the good news is, the EVGA, one of the partner companies for NVIDIA, they are gonna buy back and replace any of their cards that were burned up during this. So at least if you have an EVGA card, you can look into getting a new card if you you did happen to play the game and it burnt out so at at least that's something that now there's a lot of other partners with nvidia that have not come forward and said that they were going to replace their cards so you got asus msi you know a few other ones but they haven't come out and said okay yeah we're gonna replace your card if you you know destroyed it with this game but it may be something that happens later on. They may do it quietly, just as a little pressure release or something like that. They may say it. But, you know, at least EVGA was the first one to come out and say, hey, we're going to replace your card if you played this game and it destroyed your card. Because that's a, at least a $1,200 card under normal circumstances. If you tried to buy it within the last year, you probably paid upwards of three grand for this thing. Just because of the way pricing was, and you know all of that stuff with the silicon shortage and everything else, and the way graphics cards were go- going up in price and skyrocketing and everything else, scalpers the whole nine. If you were up in that, you, <laughs> you did not pay MSRP for a graphics card in the last year. You just have not. That's just that ain't the that ain't the the rate things are going right now. So, at least they're getting replaced. So that's some good news on that, and. I mean it could be worse right it could you could have been stuck with a 1200 hundred dollar, you know paperweight that, like some people have been so before i wrap things up i did want to talk about a couple other things i already actually talked about the global chip shortage with the um the tsmc article and stuff like that earlier and again with the 3090s kind of touched on it a little bit so i'm not going to go through that really anymore I uh, do have it listed as a quick mention on the show prep. If you wanted to go back again, down com. you can go check out all of the links to all of the articles I was talking about today. But the first one that I want to talk about is uh, Virgin, the, their space flight and Blue Origins uh, space flight. So Bezos and I don't remember old boy's name from Virgin, but uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But anyway, uh, old boy, <laughs> we'll call him uh they decided they wanted to go to space so they did and they both made it back safely which was great so they're kind of giving tesla and spacex a run for their money and i really don't think that they're actually giving them really a run for their money because you know tesla's kind of uh spacex is kind of proven now and are partnered with nasa for the most part so i I really don't know I, i mean You know, the more people that get into it, the cheaper things are going to get. That's just, you know, the way things work. So the fact that there are a couple more companies that are willing to put in the work to, you know, to up the space race, I'm all for that. If they want to do it, go for it. You know, I mean, I I can't fault them for wanting to try. Now, the, the really big differences that I've seen in both of these is, for one, they really weren't in space for very long you know, 10 to 15 minutes at the most in low Earth orbit. But Virgin's spacecraft is more plane-like. I did notice that. So theirs is more along the lines of, like, an updated version of the shuttle. So, you know, that one, a little bit different. The Blue Origin one is very much kind of like a Soyuz capsule design, and I've seen all the memes, and yes, it did kind of look like Dr. Evil's "Quote unquote ship that looked like a tallywhacker," blah 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 blah. You know how that went on Austin Powers. But anyway, but like I said, more power to them if they want to keep going, go for it. You know, it's better to have more brains in stuff like that than not. So, to each his own. Let them go, see what they can do. The other one is the Steam Deck. Now, this is actually kind of a handheld computer. They keep calling it the Switch, the Nintendo Switch killer. I don't believe that's going to be the case at all. Because this thing, it will play Steam games, but it won't play all Steam games. Because, granted, I mean, the screen looks good. The From what I've heard, the controllers are really easy to work. You know, the, the buttons are good and the whole nine. The thing that gets me is that it's the chipset that's running it is not the most powerful. So it won't be able to run a whole lot of AAA games on it. So you'll be able to play some of the older games and some stuff on Steam that, you know, they they have on there that's that's a little bit older and easier to play. So they'll have that. But is this a Nintendo Switch killer? No. And mainly for the the reason that it's it's not meant to go up against the Switch. You know, it's meant to play Steam games and, you know, Linux-based PC games. So it's not even going up against Nintendo Nintendo is, and by the way, Nintendo is very, very strict and crazy as far as keeping their intellectual property off of devices and using ROMs and different things like that. So if you try to put, you know, a Nintendo uh, OS or some kind of Nintendo game on that and they find out, they are liable to send lawyers after you. So just keep that in mind. But Yeah. (laughs) So, again, just to wrap up, thank you again for listening. I do appreciate every single one of you that's listened to the the podcast, and we're going to start off Season 7 with a bang here. So I definitely appreciate you. I want to thank you all for for sticking with me and getting through the break. I know it was a little bit longer than I normally take, but things do happen. And you know what? I'm glad to be back. We're going to start rolling with this one more time, and we're going to keep going. So love to be back. Thank you all. And you know how I like to end the podcast, Uh, paraphrase from Albert Hubbard, technology can replace the work of many people, but it can never replace the work of one extraordinary person. So go out and be extraordinary today. Thank you all for being here. I love you. I'll see you right back on the next episode of the Down South IT Podcast. Later.